Usually Palm Sunday for me is a day of great rejoicing, and it still is. But this morning, the first thing that I found as I woke up was we had two explosions in Egypt this morning, in Tanta and in Alexandria. So right now we have 47 martyrs so far, and 144 confessors that are added to the ranks of the church. So we send out our condolences to Egypt and the Serbian has, on our behalf, sent His Holiness Pope Tuadros. And so it's almost like Joy Saturday, like we said yesterday, with this joy mixed with, with grief, not just because of the feast and that, but also because while we grieve the loss of our, our brothers and sisters in the faith, um, we also rejoice that they are martyrs, right, and confessors. And confessors aren't a small deal. A lot of us don't really appreciate the confessors, right? The confessors are ranked in the church just after the rank of the martyrs. Because the confessors are those who were meant to be killed, and for some reason the killing didn't happen, but they ended up shedding blood or suffering in the name of Christ. So the Council of Nicaea, for example, many of the bishops at the council were themselves confessors because they had just lived through some of the hardest persecutions, including that of Diocletian, right, who's, which we changed our calendar because of. And so it says that Emperor Constantine actually went and kissed the wounds um, of each of the confessors as they came in, as a sign of what they offered on behalf of Christ. And I think the relevance maybe of, the, of this event happening today is that a big message in the Gospel of Palm Sunday, or a big question is, do you get it, right? Do you understand what's, what's going on here? Because the Jews didn't get it. Many people didn't get it. And I would argue that many of us today don't get it. In the sense that the Lord, when He created, as we talked about yesterday, and it's going to get repetitive because that's what this week is all about, as we've said many times, God created the earth for man, not man for the earth. And as God dealt with His people, right, He wanted from them holiness, He wanted from the relationship, and He wanted from them love. And when the people rejected Him, as we went over yesterday, and eventually established the covenant, what He said to them in the covenant was that, listen, I, I want the whole world to know Me. I want the whole world to remember that I am the God of all of the world. I'm going to work with you in your language, Right? I'm going to show the world that, yes, I am, I am with you. And what that meant for them in the Old Testament was very materialistic, right? in the sense that God dwelt among men. And you'll see this expression throughout Holy Week, and you'll see it in our hymns. We will say, and, and especially in the Tazbaha, God, the word that's often translated in English, which isn't the best one, is God who abides, God who rests in His saints. But the actual word is God who tabernacles. Okay? It's God who tents. And that was because God was present among the people of Israel in a tent, before the temple, before anything, even, and we're going to read this during the week, right? When King David wants to build him a temple, God says, don't you know who I am? I'm the one who lived in the tents, right? I was in Bethel with you, in a tent, right? So I don't care about your buildings, right? This isn't what I'm, what I'm here for. And so when we say God who tents with us, it literally in modern English means God who chills with us, God who camps with us, right? It's not God who is over there and we're over here. It's God who is with us, in us, and in our midst. 
And so what God said to them is, I will show you that I am your God in the language that the people will understand. And in the language of that era of civilization, it meant to win their wars, right? It meant to give them power. It meant to show that there was something stronger with the people of Israel than there was with all of the other nations. And we see this to be true, right? Even when we read about the captivity later on in the week, you'll see that when, when they're leading the Israelites astray, one of the Babylonians says to the Israelites, you know, we're afraid of your people because of your God, but it's your God. Your God has delivered you into our hands. They didn't even say, oh, our God is greater than yours. They said, your God has delivered us, you, into our hands, right? This was the power of their God. The problem was that the people still forgot the point of the law. They didn't get it, right? So they thought, because they requested a king, right? When they, when they asked for Samuel to anoint for them a king, and Samuel gets really upset, and God says, just give it to them. They, they were looking to be more secular. They were looking to have more of the signs of success and wealth that the world had. Other nations had kings, so they said, well, we want kings too. And the Lord said, fine, right? He said, that's fine. Just keep the covenants, okay? I don't mind this, right? In fact, I will even bless it. I will pour holy oil and anoint your kings. That today is equivalent of anointing a bishop, right? And he said, I, I will accept this. I will work through what it is that you're asking from me, so long as you continue to keep the covenant, so long as you continue to keep my word. But they didn't, right? They, they didn't get it. And so as they broke the covenant, the Lord did eventually finally say, have it your way, right? He didn't say, I don't care about you. He didn't say anything nasty. He just said, no, take it. Like, if that's what you want, take it and go, right? I'm not, I'm not going to fight your wars. I'm not going to do these things for you. Um, I've been doing it with, with nothing in return from you. But now I'm allowing you to have your way. And so when they came back, for 400 years, as we said at the Feast of the Nativity and the Annunciation, there was no communication, right? God shut down, right? There was no talking. There was no judges. There was no prophets. There was nothing. From the building of the temple to the coming of the Lord, there was nothing. And so now we see this buildup in the people where what they thought the Messiah was going to do, because they didn't get it, because they thought it was about the riches, when it's not about the riches, they thought that this Messiah that was going to come was going to be a Messiah who would come and restore the nation of Israel. And this is why they were very confused. Because they thought, this guy is going to come, whoever this guy is prophesied about, this guy is going to come, he's going to rebuild the temple, bring it to its former glory, right? He's going to kick out the Romans, we're not going to be occupied, and all of these battles that we read about in the Old Testament, that's going to be us all over again, we're going to take over the world. And so God's like, you don't, you don't get it, right? And he keeps on showing it over and over and over, right? He's born of a poor virgin, right? He's born in a manger. He comes to Jerusalem riding on a donkey, right? A god of war or a, or a worldly king, right, should be coming in on a chariot, right? He should come in with his horsemen and his chariots and this dramatic display. Whereas our Lord sent two guys, right, to Jerusalem ahead of him and said, just tell the guy we need the donkeys, right? And he, he was humble even in this, that he is subjecting himself to people. Because 
in the way that it's written, it was actually God sending almost a, a password through the disciples because he knew that the people were planning to kill him. So he says, don't even tell them it's the Lord. Right? Don't tell them that it's the Lord Jesus. Don't name me. Right? He just says, tell them the Master has need. Right? So that was like understood, oh, that means that Jesus is coming. Because he knew that wherever he went, the crowds were going to come. Because we see in this build-up that what happened yesterday on Lazarus Saturday, even though it was good news, it made a lot of people angry. Right? For some reason, they weren't happy that somebody could raise the dead. They were very angry because they didn't get it. Right? They were very upset. And so they said, as we read last night in Asheya and Vespers, right, that the Jews started to plot to kill even Lazarus, right? Not just the Lord. It was like, no, let's also kill Lazarus. And that mood was so clear that Thomas, I read it sarcastically, um, when, when our Lord tells them before going to Bethany, um, Lazarus is dead, right? Thomas almost, it, it sounds sarcastic in the scriptures, I need to, to verify that, where he's like, let's also go so that we can die. Right, where he has this, this understanding of like, this is not good. Right, we're not going into like cheers and, 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 and happiness, we're going into a mob, right, that wants to <laughs> destroy us. And so when he arrives, right, he fulfills the prophecies. And there's multiple prophecies that are being um, fulfilled in our Lord's coming in to um, Jerusalem. There's a specific prophecy about coming on, on a donkey, right? Um, and there was specific prophecies about the people crying out to say Hosanna. But there's a, a, a weird thing that goes on in this scene that not everybody might, might get at first glance. Um, there's an Anglican writer that put it really well. What's happening in the scene is almost like having a Christmas tree with Easter eggs around it. Um, because the waving of palm branches and the cutting of palm branches wasn't a new thing for Israel. It was something that they had done before and in recent history for them. It was done when Joseph Maccabeus, okay, um, delivered the temple out of the hands of the pagans that had taken over the temple. And this is what the Jews celebrate as Hanukkah. And when he returned victorious to the city, this is what the Jews did. They cut the branches and they laid it in front of him to hail him as this hero and king and conqueror who could slay their enemies. And at the same time, this week was supposed to be about Passover, right? Which was supposed to be about the Paschal Lamb, right? Coming through. And so the Jews were actually missing, mixing two feasts together, and they were right, but they didn't get it, right? Because he was going to deliver them from the hands of their enemy. It just wasn't the Romans, right? He was going to deliver them from death, even as it happened in Passover, only it wasn't from this physical death that we were going to be redeemed. It was from our spiritual death. It was from the, the, the tyranny of, of, of death over us, right? That he was going to be bringing to us the resurrection. And as a consequence, not everybody who gets it will follow him. Because those who followed him for the wealth, those who were saying Hosanna because they saw that two days ago he raised people from the dead, Right, those who maybe were among the five thousand men and the thousands of, of wives and children who were fed, maybe they were relatives of people who had had major miracles done to them. These people were encouraged by these miracles because they felt that they were getting what they wanted. 
And because they didn't get it, because they wanted the stuff, these were the same people who cried, crucify him, less than a week later, right? Not even five and a half days later, these people were accusing him in front of the Sanhedrin on Thursday evening, and on Friday they were saying, we have no king but Caesar. The same people who were hailing him and throwing the palms on the ground, hoping that he was the, the, their deliverer from Caesar, were saying, we have no king but Caesar. And this is why we have to ask ourselves, do we get it? Right? We see these martyrs today who are in the kingdom already. The martyrs, we don't wait 50 years to saint. The martyrs are immediately counted among the congregation of, of the saints. And to me, those are people who got it. Right? If you look at those who are living, this is, this is a time to be proud of our, of our mother church. Um, to be very proud of the offering that, that our church has, has given. Right, that we are proud members of the Orthodox Church of Alexandria, that it was founded in blood, right? First on the blood of Christ Himself, then on the blood of Saint Mark, right, who who spilled his blood in Alexandria, in the same place where these people were martyred today, the very same place, on the shores of Alexandria where the first church of Egypt was, those of Tanta who went to church just like us, just to pray. Right? These are people who were a martyr, they were a witness. Right? That, they, that they accept the cross. Right? They weren't in it for the cash, they weren't in it for the money. Because when these things happen, there are multiple ways people go. There are some who will say, what is this? I thought God was supposed to do X, Y, and Z. These are the people who would yell, crucify him when things go wrong. I'm sure there are people who after these marches, I'm saying, what kind of God is that? That isn't what I expected from him. I'm going to peace out. But the question is, do you get it? Because he never said that it was about glory. He never said that it was about riches. He said the exact opposite, and he did the exact opposite. That God who reigns, okay, from his, his throne, right, and majesty that you see in the, in the bosom of the Father, came down to ride on that throne, a donkey, right? God who has power to move the sun and the moon and the stars and who puts all things in balance, put himself at the mercy of men, his own creation, and allowed them to have jurisdiction over him. The bishop of all flesh became the servant and allowed humanity to be his bishop. This is a great humility, right? This is the message of Pascha week, is that in weakness, God has shown what is greater than might. May God grant us all to be true martyria, to true be, be true witnesses, that we understand the message of his incarnation and the message of the gospel. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.